Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. everybody, it's you McTeer here to welcome you along to another La Liga Lowdown match day recap, also rebroadcast on Sirius XMFC 157. We're now more than halfway through the run of 11 match days that we had remaining following the coronavirus pause. I actually can't believe that it's flown in so quickly and in this match day 33, the halfway point of this second part of the season, we had an absolutely huge fixture. On Tuesday night, Barcelona took on Atletico Madrid and it finished 2-2. This time, Diego Costa didn't tell the referee that he would defecate in anybody's mouth and he was able to avoid a red card, but he did have some misfortune as he scored an early own goal. Then we had something of a penalty shootout with Costa missing one that was allowed to be retaken because Stegen was ever so slightly off his line. Saul took over and scored. Then Messi scored a penalty of his own in the second half, then Saul scored another for a 2-2 draw. Our man in Barcelona is Roman de Arquer, and he was all over this one. Roman, this was a very entertaining game, with both teams attacking. It was much more open than previous Barcelona versus Atletico games, no? It was definitely one of the more entertaining games between these two teams. Um, firstly, because I think the early goal from Barcelona obviously had an impact in Atletico had to score. And also they were well aware of Barcelona's situation um, where they're not really comfortable, where they're not at their best. They're losing points. So Atletico knew ha- they had a big chance there. So they made the most of it. But also I think... Um, it was helpful that Barcelona have been playing slightly better, I'd say, from the first games. Uh, against Celta, despite the draw, I think uh, their performance was quite decent, especially in the first half. And against Atletico, they also had good moments. So they're generating a bit more in attack than they were in the first couple or three of games. So I think those two factors maybe allowed this uh, game between both sides to be more entertaining than usual. Diego Simeone helped to make it entertaining. He brought on Joao Felix. Alvaro Morata, Vitolo and Thomas Lamar. Atletico really went for the win late on. Did it surprise you how attack-minded Atletico were? It's definitely a surprise when El Cholo Simeone brings on so many attacking players because we know that usually his changes are more defensive-minded. You know, he wants to hold the result. He wants to get that point in the Camp Nou, which is already very valuable for them in that fight for the Champions League. 
but he knew Barca were vulnerable. Um, they haven't been a great, as I said before, and in defense, you know, they, they caused these two maybe unnecessary penalties which were favorable to Atletico, so they saw an opportunity there. Cholo knew that uh, he could maybe pull a win. I think it was the right decision, a brave decision, and unfortunately for them, uh, they only got a point, but it uh, could have perfectly worked and they could have perfectly managed the three points at the end. Kiki Setien and Barcelona, on the other hand, didn't make as many attacking substitutions and only introduced Antoine Griezmann in stoppage time. Simeone was asked about Griezmann only coming on for a few minutes and his answer was sin palabras, no words. What did you think about it, Roman? It's definitely strange, you know, we don't really know what's happening there with Griezmann. Uh, it seems like it could have to do simply with how he's performing at the moment, because we all know that his level is far off from what we saw at Atletico de Madrid. Um, but then again, it could also have to do with the fact that Griezmann is having problems to adapt to this system Kike Setien is proposing. Um, he didn't really fit, to be fair, uh, very well with Valverde anyway, and he is kind of struggling also with Kike Setien, so Griezmann is not really really playing good football that has to definitely have an impact on the minutes he plays but from there to playing the last few minutes or not playing at all uh, is quite surprising but it is true that when he came on uh, he had a really bad few minutes he lost the first ball he touched even though he recovered it after and then he misplaced a few passes he was quite uh, out of focus you know in that match so maybe Kike Setien doesn't see what he needs from the team in Griezmann at the moment but hopefully it will get solved before the end of the season because it's not great to have these beefs among all the other problems Barcelona are having Absolutely such a strange situation and Perhaps Ricky Puch was part of the reason why Griezmann wasn't brought on until he was because Ricky Puch played very well. What did you think about his great performance? And in particular, what did you think about his position? Because he played in something like a, a number 10 role. Yeah, I mean, Kike Setien set up a sort of diamond for this game in midfield um, with Busquets, obviously, uh, more as a defensive midfielder than on each side you'd have Vidal and Rakitic. And then a bit more forward, Ricky Puig trying to combine um, more with Messi, more with Luis Suarez. And I think it was a pretty good idea to put him there because he kind of uh, allowed uh, Barcelona to be more creative in the last few meters of the pitch, where we've seen that Barca have struggled a lot this season you know they're, they're having a hard time breaking down defenders and having a player which is so intelligent such a Ricky Puig and can quickly move the ball make decisions on time and you know distribute uh, perfectly well I think it was a pretty interesting idea uh, to see him there and I think he performed really well overall it was he's getting better and better every game um, with Kike Setien I have to say this is one of his uh, improvements towards the team you know getting the most out of Ricky Puig because we're seeing a very talented young player who could be very important for Barcelona in the near future so I really like that position for him I think it allowed Barca to be more um, offensive to create more in attack and hopefully he'll find himself even more comfortable in the next few games and, and you know he could definitely become a starter regularly this season for Barcelona because the other midfielders aren't really at his level at the moment in terms of intensity and in terms of performances. Barcelona players have admitted that it now all depends on Real Madrid and it's true. How confident are you that Real Madrid will drop enough points between now and the end of the season? Well, I said it right before the La Liga restarted and I'm going to stick to that 
the fact that I do believe Madrid are going to drop points. Um, why am I saying this? Well, I'm taking into account the season they had previous to this break where, you know, they were quite irregular and they were dropping uh, quite a lot of points. And that's why Barcelona, um, just before the coronavirus, uh, you know, confinement situation, were still league leaders because despite the fact that Barca weren't doing great, Madrid weren't doing great either. But not somehow it's true that they've come back much stronger. They're playing really well. Uh, I think they've improved many aspects. They don't have as many injuries. And definitely it's going to be harder uh, than I thought at the beginning for Madrid to drop points. But I still think at some point, you know, they have to drop some. It's so many games one after the other and they have to feel it at some point. But again, I don't think they're going to drop enough points for Barcelona uh, to actually be capable of winning the title because I think Barca look like they're still going to drop more points uh, after those uh, three draws. So it doesn't look great. And Real Madrid are really the clear favorites and should win this league if nothing out of the unexceptional happens, you know. Now, I know you have some thoughts on the Arter and Pjanic swap. So the floor is yours, Roman. What do you think of that deal? Well, Ewan, like a lot of Barcelona fans, I'm very disappointed with this deal. I thought uh, Arthur had an important future here at Barcelona. Um, he has a lot of potential. We've seen the quality he has um, in, in the games where he's performed his best football. Um, he's really proven that he can take control of Barcelona's midfield. But it is true. He's had lots of ups and downs. He's been very regular. Um, his physical condition isn't at its best, but I think all those things have a solution. So we would have, if we would have worked on Arthur properly, if we would have uh, developed um, him as a player here at the club, I think he would have been a talent for years to come and a really uh, key player for uh, FC Barcelona. But of course, Bartomeu is really more worried about uh, the economical side of the club. He wants to show the saucies and all the fans and the whole world that Barcelona is one of the biggest clubs, that they're earning millions every year, they're making benefits, that everything's going fantastically well. But we know that's not the truth. This is just a cover-up, you know. It's a very strange deal, like the one we saw last season between Neto and Chilesen. It's all about uh, the balance sheets, uh, making everything look good. But of course, this might be beneficial for him uh, now this season. But in the future, this could have this could be a problem in the economical side also, because we know that Pjanic is 30 years old, and to amortize uh, all uh, the money spent on him, it won't be easy. Um, taking into account uh, all these factors I've been saying, so I'm definitely unhappy with the situation. And unfortunately, as a fan, I just have to deal with it and accept what's going on because it's out of our hands, and only elections can save us from. Uh, any more Bartomeu weird stuff. Thanks, Roman, for that update on all things Barca, where it's just not going well. And we've even just heard late on Thursday night reports from Cadena Ser that Messi is apparently so fed up that he's halting contract renewal talks and is seriously considering leaving the club next summer in 2021. It's just all a big mess right now at Barcelona. And the way Spanish football works is that when one of Barcelona and Real Madrid is up, the other is down. So when Barcelona is down, Real Madrid is up. And that's the case right now. Real Madrid have made it six wins from their first six matches back. They did so by defeating Hitafi 1-0 at the Di Stefano on Thursday night. A Sergio Ramos penalty was the only goal of that game. La Liga Lowdown's resident Real Madrid fan, Hassan Karim, joins us now. You may also know Hassan from our graphics on social media, at La Liga Lowdown on Twitter. Let's discuss this victory, one which puts Real Madrid four points ahead of Barcelona, how important was it? 
I imagine Zidane is absolutely delighted to have come out of that with three points. Hetafe are a very tough customer to come up against. They're defensively so well structured. They actually concede the fewest amount of shots per game in the Liga. They also press really well. They press in packs and they don't make it comfortable. I mean, we saw, what was it, 20 seconds into the game where Isco was decked and they've got a yellow card pretty much from the off. So it's not a team that's relatively easy to play against and it's one that definitely Zidane will look at and say, I'm glad that one is now off the list. Another refereeing call benefiting Real Madrid, but once again, it was the right decision, wasn't it? It was a penalty. Of course, there's been plenty of contentious calls, not just from Real Madrid, but across Spanish football in general in recent weeks, since the restart at least anyway. So naturally anything, and particularly when it's Real Madrid, gets a call that is suspicious, it's going to be exaggerated massively by both rival fan bases and the press. But today, that was as stonewall as it can get. Um, the penalty was well deserved and probably the most clear-cut chance other than the Vinicius shot that they actually would have got during the game. So, yeah, it was very much a fair decision and I can't see why anybody would complain for that. Courtois, Carvajal, Varane, Ramos and Benzema, those five players have started every match so far for Real Madrid. Do they need a rest and when could they rest? Of the remaining games in the Liga, they've got Athletic Club up next, which is going to be definitely a tough ordeal considering it's also away, so I can't imagine that any of those guards will get a rest in that game. Considering just how key they are, I mean, we've seen how often through the season how the backline seems to miss Ramos' leadership when he's off the pitch. Carvajal's been probably the best right-back alongside Mendy that we could possibly have had currently. And he's been key to everything. Varane, again, has been solid. Courtois has been huge for this team throughout not just the restart, but the season. And Benzema, of course, since the restart, looks refreshed and revitalised. But naturally, fatigue catches up everybody. And they've looked quite tired in recent games, especially in the last two. So I'd imagine if they go into rest anybody in the coming games, the best chance would be against Alaves at home on the 10th of July. But even then, it's not necessarily a given that they will rest them because Alaves is still very much, you know, looking to solidify themselves in the league and it's not necessarily going to be an easy game, even if it is at home. Thank you, Hassan, for the update there. That brings us to the end of part one then. We've got plenty more coming up in part two, including a classic Paco Pollock rant about the state of Valencia right now. So stay tuned for that, coming up after this short pause. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello and welcome back to this episode of La Liga Lowdown. It's time to work out what in the world is going on at Valencia. Every single day there's something new. They sacked Albert Solades, the owner Peter Lim's daughter has been calling out Valencia fans on social media and now Rodrigo Moreno is out injured for the rest of the season. But let's start with the on-field matters and their latest defeat. A second 2-0 loss in a row, this time against Athletic Club with two Raul Garcia goals. Paco Pollock joins us now and Paco, after everything that's happened at Valencia in the past weeks, you probably weren't very surprised by this lost Athletic, were you? Um, not really. As we already discussed in the previous matchday report, Celades was very close to being sacked after that harsh defeat against Villarreal, but especially because how depressed the team looked on Estadio La Ceramica. The squad is broken in many ways, mentally, physically and tactically. Celades is, yeah, responsible of course, but I don't blame fully the man for trying. The fact is, this season looked like a potential disaster when Peter Lim and President Anil Murti decided to sack Marcelino back in match day 3 in September and later forced Matteo Alemán to follow suit. But again, this assessment is nothing new to our listeners because we've repeated such words plenty of times this season in La Liga Lowdown. Rodrigo said afterwards that nobody should expect Voro, the eternal caretaker, to fix everything in one day, but who can fix everything in the long term or is it even possible for a coach to solve the club's problems? Actually, Rodrigo said many more interesting things, especially that Voro was trying to reverse the playstyle into what the previous coach, no, the previous, previous coach had done. He was obviously referring to Marcelino without saying his name, because it's a well-known fact that Meriton Holdings despise whenever the man is mentioned. So, no, this isn't as simple as kicking out the coach and bringing in another, even though Voro's caretaking task has been historically brilliant. Simply put, this club has lost its compass and I don't really think they will recover it in the short term. Raul Garcia, the two-goal man in this game, said afterwards about Athletic that we're a group of friends and we fight for everything. Is the opposite true at Valencia? It was absolutely true last season when the whole squad worked as a single unit and we saw again and again examples of friendship of camaraderie amongst the players again the management and Valencia's board were responsible of destroying that with a number of issues after the sacking of Marcelino and Mateo Alemán the negative buzz surrounding Ferran Torres's contract extension not extending Garay's contract after they had already reached a verbal agreement with him also some delicate facts being leaked outside the locker room Right now, no, Valencia definitely don't look like a group of friends and definitely they're not fighting for everything. How bad would it be for Valencia to not even qualify for the Europa League in financial terms and also in terms of keeping players like Ferran or 
could it actually be a positive in disguise? You see, there's nothing positive surrounding the chance of Valencia out of Europe, regardless of the fact that it would probably be a big wake-up call for the club's fan base, who have been incredibly tame in their criticism compared to just how bad of a task Meriton has been doing in the management. The blow to Valencia's finances would mean the club having to sell two or three of their big players next summer and generating around 60 or 70 million euros in cash so they can be in the clear in the financial fair play next season. So that's why even with the team absolutely drained of almost every single of their positive traits, they must push hard into at least finishing 7th. Missing on the Champions League is already huge. Missing on the Europa League would be a total catastrophe. Thanks, Paco. Now, from one club in crisis to another, let's take a trip from Valencia to Real Betis. They've also sat their coach since the restart, removing Ruby and replacing him with Alexis Trujillo. He moved to the dugout from the sporting department and under Alexis, Real Betis won their first game back against Espanyol, but yeah, that was against Espanyol. Since then, they've lost 4-2 at Levante and 2-0 at home to Villarreal this week. Two matches where they actually could have lost by even larger margins. It's time to work out what's going on by bringing in Betis expert David Whitworth. Let's go back to that Espanyol game, David. That was a complete false dawn, wasn't it? Yes, indeed. The win against... Espanyol was a figment of reality really, as the team has been shown to be mentally shot to pieces, devout of any confidence and anything but a team. The only saving grace was the game against Villarreal finished only 2-0, because it could have been a lot more in the second half. Well, Alexis brings Betisismo to the team after 274 games with Betis throughout his history with the club. He knows the house, he has done every job possible in the club. Yeah, even he is powerless to stop this rot and mental block which has gradually festered as the season has gone on. One thing that struck me watching the Betis v Real game was that Villarreal don't necessarily have a world-class coach, but they've got talent, maybe similar levels of talent to Betis, and somehow it works. What's the difference at the clubs? Well, the main difference is the organisation and leadership. Javi Calleja has done a wonderful job of bringing those qualities to the team. And they have quality in their ranks with the likes of Gerard Moreno, Santi Cazola and Samuel Chukwuzia, who have all excelled this season. They're one of the informed teams of La Liga since the resumption and, Bar- and they've got every chance of beating Barcelona when the two teams meet in the next round of fixtures in La Liga. Mark Bartra had another poor game. When he arrived in January of 2018, he was exactly what Betis needed at that moment. But as his usefulness passed, as there are need now to just completely break down and rebuild the defence. Well, the statistics don't lie. We do have the second worst defence in La Liga. And you can see in general that the players look like they want the end of the season right now as they're mentally destroyed. We saw images of both Mark Bartra and Sergio Canales substituted and looking crestfallen on the bench. It's clear that there's a mental block and a negative dynamic which was illustrated by those images. In terms of Mark, well... Bartra was a, a great signing when he came and in his first season he, he demonstrated that bringing a lot of organisation to our, our defence but gradually he has declined from being a, a Spanish international. I remember he scored against Wales uh, at the Millennium Stadium there but his recent performances have been littered by defensive mistakes. I still think he has enough quality locked inside him to be an asset but at the moment he's 
got a lot of uh, errors in his game. But I have to say, in general, we need the season to end and ask some serious and forthright questions. Uh, what on earth has gone so wrong for a team which has aspired, what well, had aspirations of European football at the start of the season with the talented squad that we assembled? It's a case of we need to press the reset button and make some hard decisions over the summer to rebuild not just the defence but the whole team as this season has been an unmitigated disaster. Yeah, so looking to attack then, it's 18 matches started for Laurent, 18 matches started for Borja Iglesias. Do they maybe need to settle on one clear starter at that position? Definitely. There's been too much tinkering up front between the two. Lolo Moron started the season in fine form and was top scorer of La Liga early on, but this calendar year he has faded alarmingly. And for all his hard work and his tenacity, the Borja Iglesias experiment simply hasn't worked out and looks unable to contribute with goals. Loren has 11 goals, whereas Borja has only 3 in 32 matches. And one of our main issues has been that lack of an attacking threat. Looking at coaches, there's talk about Manuel Pellegrini. How would you view that appointment? Well, there's been many a coach linked with the Betis job recently, from Manuel Pellegrini to Javi Gracia to Miguel Herrera, the current coach of Club America, former boss of Mexico. He would bring some continuity to Diego Lainez, Andres Guardado, Guido Rodriguez. But for me, the, the favourite and my favourite would be Manuel Pellegrini. I think he would be a very astute signing. Betis need continuity, Betis needs stability, needs someone with that know-how, that experience, someone that commands respect for the players, and he brings all those qualities. Always remember his spell with Villarreal, getting them to the Champions League semi-finals, bringing in the likes of Riquelme and Forlan, what a team they had, and then he did a really good job against Malaga, just a kick away from getting to the semi-finals against Jurgen Klopp's Borussia Dortmund. And even at Real Madrid, he got the highest points total in their history up until that point. It was just a shame for him that Barcelona just pipped him to the post. Um, in terms of his spell in England, well, he did very well with Man City winning the Premier League and winning a couple of League, uh, league Cup finals. But at West Ham, things went a bit sour there. And his, his spell in China was a little bit off and on. Um... But I still rate him as a coach. I still think he's got one big job left in him. And he's got vast experience of La Liga. Speaks the language. And like I said, he commands respect. He brings that know-how, that expertise. And I think he would be the ideal signing for Real Betis right now. Thanks, David. So Valencia and Betis are very much in crisis. So too, I guess, are Espanyol and Leganes. Maybe, maybe crisis is a bit strong, but... Both of these clubs, I think, have now accepted their fates. It's never a nice feeling, it's never nice to talk about it, but both these teams are going down. Leganes lost again this midweek, 3-0 at home to Sevilla. Afterwards, though, coach Javier Aguirre seemed more concerned in his post-match press conference about who'd stolen his dinner. Estoy, estoy bien, estoy enfadado porque desapareció mi bolsa de comida, que algún cabrón se la llevó, pero por lo demás estoy bien, estoy bien, buscaré que cenar en casa y poco más. I'm fine, I'm annoyed because someone stole my bag of food, so I'll have to eat at home. That's what Aguirre was saying there. Actually, hang on, here's the English translation dubbed over it right here. 
you, you, you threw my sandwich away. My sandwich? My sandwich? No. I mean, we all love Aguirre and his humour, but maybe now isn't the time to be complaining about his missing dinner. Leganes are nine points from safety with five games to go. Maybe that should have been the priority. And at Espanyol, it's not much better. They took a lead against Real Sofidad, but La Real finally earned their first victory since the restart by mounting a comeback to win 2-1. That leaves Espanyol still bottom, 10 points from safety. But let's take a look at the team that perhaps could climb out of the relegation zone. The club that still has hope is Real Mallorca. So, Real Mallorca had a relegation six-pointer on Tuesday night. It was literally the team in 18th, which is them, versus the team in 17th, which is Celta Vigo. And Real Mallorca smashed them 5-1 to pull themselves to within five points with five rounds to go. So there's hope on the island now. We're going to discuss this game with Mallorca-based Alex Fitzpatrick. And Alex, before we get into all the good that Real Mallorca did, everyone will talk about the first goal and the penalty for it. What did you think about that? It was certainly a soft penalty and I do feel for Celta Vigo. Mallorca have been on their fair share of harsh decisions this season. Most penalties against any club have been against Mallorca and there seems to be a little bit less of a propensity for a a referee to go over and check the screen or even take advice on some shaky calls when it might benefit a smaller team. But Two wrongs don't make a right, and, and I wouldn't want to see a, a poor decision given against another side to benefit Mallorca, just as I don't want to see poor decisions against Mallorca. I want to see fair decisions across the board. After that penalty, Real Mallorca were clinical as they had eight total shots in this match and turned that into five goals. Where did this clinical finishing come from? The clinical finishing comes from the quality that Mallorca have. There's no doubting the quality in the final third that they have. It's been an issue creating chances, clear-cut chances this season. Although that said, the majority of the goals you wouldn't describe really as clear-cut chances. But if you look at the players that scored them, Ante Budimir, the number of goals that he's got this season into double figures in his first season in the top flight. Cucho Hernandez, obviously, we've seen the quality that he has and the potential Pozo playing at right back but actually is is a is a midfielder and lovely finish bent it round the goalkeeper and of course Salva Sevilla bending it in around the defender in off the post clinical finishes um I think part of it was down to Mallorca shooting from better positions um, not no block defence from Celta. Celta incredibly open in how they were defending and how they were playing, not tight at all to Mallorca. And that offered Mallorca more time on the ball. No press from Celta. And Mallorca struggled very much against pressing sides. Because there was no press, this allowed Mallorca more time, more space. They could play their natural game. They could play their football. And it gives those players with that quality that we just talked about a little bit more time to pick their spot. 
The most important thing was the result, but what did you think of the overall Real Mallorca performance? The Real Mallorca performance, well, Celta had more possession, but that isn't incredibly unusual for Mallorca, not just this season, but last season during the promotion season. They do sit off, they do let teams have the ball. There were times where Celta threatened, but for once I felt that Mallorca stayed firm. They were helped by some timely saves from Manolo Reina. Of course, that's part of the team performance as well. You need your goalkeeper to to get you off the hook at times. Uh, And he did on a couple of occasions with the score still at 1-0. I do still have concerns over Mallorca's defending. They've conceded the most goals in La Liga by a margin. Um, And it's 10 games since their last clean sheet. But if the forwards can start to play as fluently as they did, particularly in broken play, picking the ball up on the counter-attack, then there could still be some hope. Then the big question. I think Espanyol and Leganes are gone, but Real Mallorca are just five points behind. Can they do it? Other than the three points on offer in this game, the, the other important thing about the result was the goal average. The first game was a draw between these two sides at Celta, and obviously the victory gives Mallorca the goal average. So Mallorca now have the goal average in their favour over Celta Vigo and Ibar, meaning that they only need to draw a level on points with both of those teams to finish above them. So that's a huge advantage for Mallorca in the chase. Uh, Celta's and Ibar's runnings are a little bit more favourable, but I do have an eye on Deportivo Alaves. They're on a horrible run of form. They don't have enough points at the moment to be safe, and they still have both Barcelona and Real Madrid to play in their final five games. Can Mallorca do it? Well, Mallorca can't just rely on others now at this stage. They need to pick up points themselves, including winning away, their huge Achilles heel. Um, And that'll be tough because they've got away games against Atleti on Friday, Sevilla not long after, and then they finish the season away to Osasuna. If Mallorca can take it to that final game against Osasuna, I would be confident of their chances of getting a win there. But to do that, they will need to win both of their remaining home games against Levante and Granada, who both maybe will have nothing to play for when they come up against them. Can Mallorca do it? Yes. Will they do it? I won't be putting my house on it, but the dream after this result against Celta Vigo is definitely still alive. Thanks, Alex, for the update on Real Mallorca there. As Alex was mentioning, Ibar is still very much in the relegation battle too. They're just one point ahead of Celta Vigo right now after losing 2-0 at home to Osasuna on Thursday. Two Ruben Garcia goals did the job against an Ibar side that have already lost two of their most important players, Gonzalo Escalante and Fabian Oriana. Their contracts already expired on June 30th and they failed to agree extensions to the end of the season. Alaves, they're in the same number of points as Ibar as they lost 2-0 at home this week, losing to a Granada side that have mathematically secured survival. Considering so many thought they would go straight back down, that's absolutely incredible. Well done to them. The final match we've not mentioned yet from this match day was the only 0-0 of the round. Real Valladolid and Levante played out a goalless draw, but it very nearly wasn't. In the seventh minute of stoppage time, Enezunal had a penalty to win the game for Real Valladolid, but the excellent Aitor Fernandez stuck out a leg to save it. Honestly, Aitor has been one of the most underrated players 
in all of La Liga this season. With that, that brings us to the end of this Matchday 33 recap. Of course, we'll be right back in no time. Our Matchday 34 recap will be hitting the digital shelves on Monday morning. Until then, my thanks go up to this week's contributors, to Roman de Arcaire, to Hassan Karim, to Paco Pollitt, to David Whitworth, and to Alex Fitzpatrick. I've been your host, Jim McTeer, and thank you very much for listening. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 